Okay, we're going to jump right into part two of I am more than just a nut. All right, this is part two. I'm not going to spend time. I, I'm going to touch a little bit on last week, but I really have so much more I want to get into. So your cookie represents I am not just a nut. I don't have to stay in my nut-like existence. The people who drive me nuts will not determine me. God's word will determine me. By his grace, by his grace, this is his plan. This is his goal. Psalm 1, and ye shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Every nut has the potential of becoming this tree. God has a potential and a plan for my transformation. And the amazing thing is what he uses to make that happen. So I'm going to start out with last week's statement, and I'm going to see how many of you remember. I want you to fill in this blank. Ready? Sometimes I win, and sometimes I learn. Oh, I'm so proud of you. Yes, you learn. Sometimes I win, and sometimes I learn. Because every loss, which is naturally how we would fill in that statement, is my opportunity to learn. Every single loss. Actually, I know you'll agree with me when I say I learn more from my failures, regrets, my losses than I do from my wins and my victories. It's, it's, a, it's a truth. Um, and as God's child, he uses our failures. He uses our mistakes as opportunity to teach me what I would never, never learn, Jan, in all of my wins. In other words, he wants to open my eyes up to those things and to those ways and to those truths that I am naturally blind to. So, last week we covered, he has a plan and he has a place for me to put my mistakes, failures, regrets, and even better yet, he has a, a plan and a place for us to put the other people's mistakes, <laughs> failures, and regrets. Um, the idiom, the idiom, oh nuts, that's what we, uh, oh nuts. The idiom, oh nuts, is said in reference to something that has gone wrong. Okay? Oh nuts, I lost my keys. Oh nuts, they did it again. Okay, so the idiom of that is always in reference to something gone wrong. What do acorns do, class? Acorns fall. Right now, Tina up at Camp Kobiak says, Mom, you can't believe it. They're pinging off the roofs. They're bouncing off the, off the sidewalks. The acorns are falling all over the place. That is the nature of an acorn. Hi, Leslie. That is the nature of an acorn. We're praying for Carter. Any update? They're going to start a new series. Okay. 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 So uh, continue to lift up Carter in prayer. Um, so the, um, where was I, Trine? Acorns fall. Yeah, acorns fall. Acorns <laughs> fall. Thank you. With, with the fall of mankind, have things gone wrong? Oh, oh. As a result of sin, sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. We are in a state of brokenness, girls. We live in a state of brokenness. I'm a broken person. We live with broken people. What do we do with the broken stuff? Well, an acorn that falls becomes broken in the dirt of the ground, and God's purpose for that is to grow you and me into a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit 
in due season. And whatsoever I do shall prosper. God wants me to prosper in the very thing that has broken me, Judy. That is, that is an amazing truth that we get to walk with today because you know what? You're going to deal with some broken people. You're going to deal with some broken promises. You're going to deal with, let's say, a broken arm. You know, everything breaks in this life. God says, trust me, I've got a plan for what is broken. So having reviewed that, oh, and I have to, I have to talk about what we naturally do because I want this as a reminder because we so justify our responses. We so justify our manipulation, our plans, and all the broken stuff in our life. God says, Kathy, I have a plan. Before I tell you what God's plan always is, we, uh, we studied it last week concerning our natural response to mistakes, regrets, and failures. And I'm not going to go over that, but in a nutshell, <laughs> I'm going to give it a quick reference. This is what we naturally do. We naturally blame. We naturally excuse ourselves. Well, I wouldn't have said that, but you said this. Or, well, I only did that because you did. You know, we, we're all, that's, what, that's what's in our heart. That's what in, it's, it's in all of our hearts, to naturally justify my way. And God says, Kathy, you're going to be determined by that for the rest of your life. You know, so we justify our mistakes, and, and, and then, you know, what happens in our heart, there's an offense in there. There's an offense that has taken hold. Hi, sweetie, it's good to see you. Uh, there's an offense that has taken place in my heart, and what turns that offense is my constant reference to it. We say that um, we say that we hold a grudge. That's not true. Grudges hold us, and they keep us trapped in what happened. You remember what the word encroach meant? You remember that from last week? Yeah, we find the word roach in it. But encroach means to go past its proper borders. My mistakes, my regrets, my failures have the power to encroach, to go past its borders and affect me today if I've not put it in the proper place, Jan, if I don't know what to do with it. In other words, that which happened yesterday is still affecting me today. It's crossed its proper borders because I've not dealt with it God's way. God says, Kathy, I always have a way for you to deal with it so that it doesn't take over your, the sweet new day that I've made for you to live today. So with those thoughts in mind, Let's move on to part two of I'm more than just a nut. God means to transform me into a tree that brings forth his fruit. Um, two people, as we talk about what comes naturally and then what comes by God's way. The first one I want to talk about is Abraham and Sarah. Okay, you remember Abraham and Sarah? Hi, Barb. Abraham and Sarah. Okay, she felt like the biggest failure that ever was. Sarah couldn't have a baby. And now God had promised Abraham and Sarah that, that their children and grandchildren, their heritage would be as the sands of the sea without number. And yet Sarah couldn't have a baby. And back in that time, that was the, that was the biggest curse a woman could live with, to be barren. And God said, Sarah and Abraham, wait. Wait on me. I have a plan. Sarah got tired of waiting. Now, I'm not minimizing at all how hard it is to wait. It is extremely hard to wait for God to work. But it is in the very 
waiting that builds my faith. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Lord, I'm, I'm not seeing you working today, but you're going to. You promised me that you would. I will stand in faith. I will not revert to manipulation. Remember Sarah. What did she do? Well, she walked in the counsel of the ungodly. You know what it was back in those days? If you couldn't have a baby, you know what you did? You found somebody who could have a baby with your husband, and they would raise up your seed that way, quote, unquote. That's never God's plan. But it was what society had put into plan. Um, wow, did that cause problems? Wow. Both in Sarah and Abraham's life, and then... It's still going on today. The hate in those nations today that began way back when Sarah decided to manipulate and make her way because she got tired of waiting on God. Now, the, other, the opposite is um, an example, an illustration, God's word, of someone who learned to wait. And this is so beautiful. This is so convicting. I want you to think about Joseph for a little bit. Joseph, this handsome hunk of a guy, 17, 18 years old, in the very beginning of his prime of life, his rotten brothers sell him into slavery. Well, that's, tell me, unfair. That's unfair. And you know what we tend to do? Why we don't wait on the Lord and why we don't trust in him with all of our heart, why we lean on our own understanding. You know what our understanding is based on? What we think is fair and what we think is not fair. And then we problem solve according to our own judgment. You know what God's word says? Kathy, your own reasoning, your own judgment, it's, go it's going to wreak havoc. It's not going to repair anything. It's not going to build anything. You're going to stay buried like a nut. And I can't produce anything of me and you because you're not going my way. You're going your own way. Joseph, love this example. 17, 18 years old, sold into slavery. And even at that young age, with the horrors of all he went through, every day he lived faithful to God. He had a faith that said, God, I know you have a plan. I don't understand it. I'm in a dark place. I'm in a horrible place. But you are faithful. Great is your faithfulness. Well, so then he does get elevated to Potiphar's place. Remember? And, and he's going, wow. Matter of fact, his brothers at the, at the end of the story, read about it in Genesis. Go, go home and study Joseph, if you're, especially if you're dealing in a dark place, especially if you're waiting on the Lord to work. Study the life of Joseph. And, and uh, the reason we know that he faithfully served the Lord every day and didn't, didn't resort to using his own judgment. You know what he told his brothers? His brothers, this is what he said. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for, tell me. Yes, God meant it for good. And every day, Joseph was either in the pit or in slavery or as we're going to see in prison. You know what he said every day? God is good. God has a plan. I don't get it, but I will trust in the Lord. God, Jehovah, you have a plan in this. So, so then he gets you know, elevated in Potiphar's house. So he's like, he's running the whole shebang. There's not a higher position, and Potiphar's wife sets out to commit fornication with Joseph. Joseph is a just man. He flees from her. He runs with her. One, in one occasion, he left his robe there. Potiphar's wife now is totally offended because he rejected her, and she lies about him. 
And Potiphar has no recourse except to send Joseph to prison. His reputation's at stake. So Joseph gets beat. Matter of fact, they say his feet were hurt with the fetters. And he was affected by that the rest of his life. Strong young man, partially lame because of what they did to him. He went to prison. I mean, talk about from the heights to the pits, from the heights to the pits. He goes to prison, and you know what he did? I'll tell you what he didn't do first. He didn't waller in self-pity. He didn't complain. He did not gripe. Now think about our week last week, because there's always points of accountability in what we are talking about in Sunday school. Did I complain last week? Did I gripe? Did I allow the littlest thing to change my attitude? Wow. Is that convicting? It's convicting to me. Lord, help me remember Joseph all day today. Help me remember Joseph when people make mistakes. Help me to remember Joseph when I fail. God, you have a plan to take those failures and those regrets change them into something glorious, but only you can do it, and it begins with my first step of obedience. And we're going to get into that obedience step in just a minute, but let me finish off with Joseph. This is so good. Genesis 39, 22. Joseph trusted God. He, he, he was unfairly sent to prison. He didn't rot in self-pity. He knew that God had a plan for his prison time, and this is what he did. I love this phrase. He became a doer. Of it. He became a doer of good things in prison. Again, accountability time. What do I do when I feel like I'm in prison? When I'm trapped in something? What do I do? What do I do? Am I a doer of good things? Don't waste the waiting time. Don't waste the waiting time. This was a waiting time for Joseph. He was waiting on the Lord. He didn't waste it. You know what he became? He became a doer of good things, so much so that the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of the whole prison. He went on 12-hour coffee breaks because Joseph was in charge. He Joseph was so influential in his dark time, and it just grabs a hold of my heart. All of us walk through dark, hard times, situations that we can do nothing about, Maybe situations that are totally unfair. And God says, don't waste this waiting time, child. I'm going to work in it, and I want you to do the next right thing. Be a doer of good things. This is what Joseph did. First of all, he influenced every rotten prisoner down there. Can you imagine prison time back in those days? I won't go into that. I get off on a bandwagon, but it was... It was awful, but he influenced all those prisoners. He influenced them to do good with him. How do I do that? How do I influence others to do good when I am in a rotten time? Number one, God puts it out in the New Testament so clearly. He says, Kathy, rejoice evermore. I believe those prisoners heard Joseph get up and pray to his God, Jehovah, I believe they heard him encourage one another. I believe they heard him say in very clear tones, no, that is not acceptable. Do right. So, that, so much so that they all followed Joseph's example. 
It is so easy to be set off by things, by failures, by brokenness, in, in the littlest, simplest ways. Nothing compared to Joseph here. Let, let's say precious daughter breaks grandma's, great, great grandma's heirloom china plate. She wasn't careful. It was a mistake. It smashed on the floor. What is my response? That's a little mini dark, broken experience as a mom. Child, what's the mantra we say? If it's not eternal, it's not important. So while I'm sick that great, great grandma's china plate is in pieces all over the floor, you look into the eyes of that child who made a horrible mistake. She wasn't, she wasn't careful. And down on knees, you take her hands that were not holding the plate properly, and you put them in your hands, and child, <laughs> this plate's not eternal, but you are. Everyone you live with is eternal. Their mistakes are the very catalyst that God wants you and me to learn, to teach them, to show them God's great love. Child, this plate wasn't eternal. And yes, we were setting it up to have a tea party. You are eternal. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to thank God that he made us eternal. Then we're going to clean up the shards and the mess, throw it in the trash, and we're going to have paper plates, and we're still going to have a tea party. The drama of the insignificant gone. The child is set free. I'm set free. Whatever I'm holding on to that was more important than restoring that child or that husband or that friend or that acquaintance or that work, that person in the workplace. God has a plan for us. Um, I was going to say something else and it slipped my mind. So I will move on. Um, Our response when life is unfair. The Lord wants to transform me from my nut-like existence, and he uses the losses in life, the little things, the little oh nuts. And the Spirit of God again reminds us, Kathy, it's not oh nuts, it's oh teach me thy way, oh Lord. I will, there's my obedience, I will walk in thy truth. Um, that takes us then, his truth is then someone that we've been studying. I won't take the counsel of the ungodly. I won't follow my heart, as you hear everybody say. It's deceitful. It's, it's naturally wicked. I won't stand in the way of sinners. I won't sit in the seat of the scornful. In other words, I won't sit with those who scorn and mock godliness. I won't partner. This is talking about a relationship. I won't partner with them. I won't yoke up with them. And in the Gospels, Jesus takes this beautiful instruction and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Matthew 11, Jesus says, oh, this is so beautiful. Write down Matthew 11, 28. Study it this afternoon. Jesus says, I love the fact that he doesn't just give me a list of do this, Kathy, do this, do this, do this, be this, do this, react this way. Do you know what Jesus says? This is so beautiful. From the lips of our Lord, he's speaking to multitudes, and he's speaking to you and me. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, and Leslie, he's saying this. He's saying, 
come. 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 Come is like the word home. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. We could all raise our hand to that right now. He says, I will give you rest. In a waiting time, in a hurtful time, in a fearful time. He goes on to say, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Learn of me. I have a better way. I have a place for you to put the breakage, the yoke of bondage. I will give you rest. So, the yoke of bondage. Every day I choose my yoke. Every day you choose your yoke. A yoke. Now, back in um, back in Bible time days, they they used they knew what a yoke was. We don't we don't use that. <laughs> we don't use that expression uh, today. But what a yoke was as a yoke would fit over our shoulders. And on either end, there would be buckets or containers in which we would carry our heavy load. Um, a yoke was also where you yoked oxen or cows together, and they would pull for the purpose of pulling a load that was too heavy. So it would be two, two together. So as Jesus gives us this amazing word picture concerning weights of life, and he invites us to walk, to yoke up, to partner with him. Now, swirl that around in your brain. You and I get to walk with the Lord today. Hayal, we get to yoke up, we get to partner with Jesus. Every person who personally knows Christ as Savior, his spirit indwells us at salvation. <laughs> That's why he will never leave us nor forsake us. He's inside. His spirit indwells us. And he says, child, I want, I want you to walk with me. I want you to yoke up with me all day today. Now, this big group that he was talking to on, on the hills, and as he was telling them, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's saying, come. Come unto me because I will walk with you. Now, put yourself on the hillside there with Jesus talking. These people are burdened with sin. They are heavy laden with the responsibilities of life. They are in the depravity of their sin. And all around the skirts of this great group, this multitude, are the Pharisees saying, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. And they are under the bondage of never being good enough. Jesus says, you can't be, but I am. Let me be your savior. Let me free you from the bondage of sin. Let me, let me take care of the biggest burden in your life, your sinfulness. Wow. And if you've received Jesus as your savior, you've been freed from the burden of sin. Someday, we're going to get that new body, and we're going to rejoice forevermore. Right now, I've been freed from the enslavement and the bondage of daily sin as I choose God's way, 
as I choose to walk in the way he's told me to walk in Psalm 3. There's three don'ts and there's three do's. In reference to what we studied last week, Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that labor, come unto me, yoke up with me. And these multitudes, I love what they must have been hearing and thinking because here's the miracle worker, the miracle worker standing in front of them and saying, come unto me. And I'll walk with you today. They're going, you will walk with us? We've seen what you could do. Jesus, you, you made the lame to do cartwheels. You caused the blind to see. I saw them when they saw their loved ones for the first time. It made me cry. You made them see. You raised Lazarus from the dead. You took a lunch of from a little boy who had loaves and fishes and you fed thousands. I still remember that lunch. It was the best fish I ever had in my life. And then now you're telling me that you're going to walk with me? Wow. Of course I want that. And Jesus says the same thing to you and me. Why would we yoke up with anybody else? I don't know, but I know we do. God's word says in Galatians 5.1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made me free, and be not entangled, ready, again, again, with the old ways, the yoke of bondage. I have a different yoke. I, have, I get to yoke up with Christ. Now, this brings us to accountability question again. Every day I choose my yoke. Every day I choose. Every day you choose your yoke, who you're going to walk with. Um, it doesn't have to be a person or a thing, although often it is. It, it can be four hours on Pinterest. That's, 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 that's a poor yoke. Um, it can be, <clears throat> I can yoke up with uh, my anger. I didn't confess it. I didn't forsake it. And, and let me say a, a minute about anger here um, because so many live with this unconfessed sin. Do you know the Lord can't work in me when I regard iniquity in my heart? When I regard an offense and anger in my heart, God can do nothing to transform me today. I'm stuck. There's no change that's going to happen. And we go back and we justify and we say, well, <clears throat> and this is, again, the counsel of the ungodly. And the ungodly, it's not just the people who don't know Christ. The ungodly can be your best friend who stands next to you in the <coughs> choir. They give ungodly advice. Check the word of God. Dear girls, get God's advice concerning this, what's in my heart. And, and, and what we tend to do is, is take that issue and translate it into today, and I've not dealt with it. I've not taken care of it. I've not forgiven. I, I have often talked with um, people who say, well, I did forgive them. Okay, I did forgive them. And I'll say, that's wonderful, that's good. Do you still feel offended? Are you still angry? Yes, yes, because, and if I forgive them again, do you know what? They're just going to do it again. But you know what? They're going to do it again anyways. 
The point of forgiveness is me living free. The point of your forgiveness is then God can work. But as long as I regard iniquity, as long as I stay offended, Courtney, as long as I stay stuck in what they did or my response, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. Oh, God, save me from myself. And so God will always call me to forgiveness. Um, don't yoke up with an old offense. Don't yoke up with fear. Boy, this is one I battle all the time. Don't yoke up with fear. Fear should not be determining me. Um, when the boys, when the grandsons, uh, Jack and Will, live close by, and, and uh, they would be like four and five years old, and they were over to Grandma's, and uh, all the cool stuff's in the basement. The Wii was set up in the basement, and you know all the, all the big toys and the roughhousing and all that kind of stuff was in the basement. But at four and five, they weren't too, you know, if Grandma was down there, it was great, but Grandma wasn't always able to go down there. And so they'd stand at the, the stairwell at the top, and the light would be turned on, and Jack would look at Will, and Will would look at Jack, and, and you know, they're a year apart. And it was just like I could almost hear, I don't want to go down there. You want to go down there? I don't want to. But I want to play the Wii. <laughs> but I want, to, I, I want to throw the balls. I want to kick the balls. And so you know what they'd say? Uncle Clint, Uncle Clint, will you go downstairs with us? <laughs> Uncle Clint will get out of his easy chair. He'd pick up Bert, of course. And all the way over to the stairwell, he'd be mumbling, nephews, nephews. <laughs> and he would go downstairs with them, and they'd play down there, and I'd hear stuff happening and going and laughter. And then they'd come running back upstairs, and then as long as Clint was with them, they'd run back downstairs. Clint's presence caused them to not fear. Who you are with determines my fear. Jesus says, Kathy, fear not. I have a plan. I have a plan and a purpose. I want you to take that fear and I want you to flip it into your faith. By faith. I want you to activate your faith. How do you do that? You do the next right thing while you wait for God to work. I don't know. The fears are so varied and they are so many levels but fear can be paralyzing. And I think especially when it deals with our children. God made our hearts vulnerable that way. And that's why he says, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And then ready? The greatest miracle of your day, the peace that passes understanding will keep your heart and mind. Linnell, we don't have to lose our mind. God says, I'm going to give you a way to keep it by prayer, by prayer. So those triggers, those, those things that, those losses, those, those examples, uh, those situations that happen in your life that are lost, immediately say, Lord, I felt that emotion. I felt that fear. What's my first response according to God's word of what I'm supposed to do? Pray, pray. Pray. Most often it's going to be in the area of, of, uh, of forgiveness or in trust. One of the best examples I've ever read is The True Life. I read her book, Corey Ten Boom. Many of you are familiar with that. But let me close with this. 
After her release from a German concentration camp, Corey traveled the world to share her story of faith and forgiveness. But in 1947, she had an encounter that shook her to the core just moments after she had concluded her message in a church in a bombed-out, bitter Germany, speaking to the dark-eyed, solemn crowd. She used a vivid picture to paint a picture of God's uh, vast forgiveness. She told them that when they confessed their sins, God's cast them into the deepest ocean so that they would be gone forever. Well, the people blankly stared at her, and as she finished talking, they just silently filed out of the basement room. No questions, no pleasant exchanges. They simply picked up their coats and quietly began leaving. And that's when I saw him. Working his way against all the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and brown hat. The next it was a blue uniform, a visored cap with the skull and crossbones. And it came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, the ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Oh, Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland, and this man had been our guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent, and now he was standing in front of me, a hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who spoke so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But, oh, I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, his hand came out. Will you forgive me? I stood there. I, whose sins had again and again had been forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by the asking? I stood there with coldness, clutching my heart. Forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of my will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of my heart. Oh, God, help me, I prayed. I can lift up my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. So woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started down my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. End of quote. Both were set free, but both we're in accordance to God's way of what do I do with my mistakes? What do I do with my regrets? What do I do with my failures? God has the most beautiful way, and he spells it out. 
And every time it's going to be, if it regards people, it's going to be either to ask for their forgiveness or to choose to forgive them. Oh, there was something I was going to say with that. Continue to forgive. If you say, I have forgiven them, but the offense is still there, do it again and do it again. And every time that person comes to mind, every time that hurt and that or everybody, anytime somebody brings it up again, you know what they did to you? You know what they said about you? Again, I choose to forgive. Now, if that offense stays alive, you know the feeling. I know the feeling. Then you know what God tells me to do? Get radical about your Christianity. Do good to them that persecute you. Bless them that persecute you. Do good to them that despitefully use, use you. You go the next step. You do something kind for them. That is when the Holy Spirit begins to work in our hearts and lives and rinse us from the burden of sin in our heart. And there's just nothing like it than sitting free this morning with a cleansed heart because we're walking with Jesus and Jesus has said, Kathy, you prayed this morning. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Children of God, daughters of the great king. When we pray that, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us does just that. He will reveal to our mind, Karen, what I've been stewing over. Quit stewing over their stupidity and forgive them. You see? And then correctly correct according to God's word. Oh, I have one more thing, but I've got to stop. Lord willing, we'll finish this up next week. Part two has just turned into three parts. Let's pray. <laughs> Father in heaven, thank you that you not only save us from our sin, but you save us in our sin. You take the mistakes, the blunders, the offenses, and God, you use those very things to become the object of light and salt. And God, may we get excited about what you're going to do because we are walking in to this next service with a cleansed heart and the opportunity to say, Lord, use me, use me, and especially use me when other people fail me. In thy precious name, amen.